In this episode, we speak with Robert Collins of Partners Group, where he serves as co-head of Private Wealth, head of the firm's New York office, and a member of the Global Executive Board. Partners Group is a leading global private markets firm. Since 1996, the firm has invested over $200 billion in private equity, private debt, private real estate, and private infrastructure on behalf of its clients. The firm seeks to generate strong returns through capitalizing on thematic growth trends and transforming attractive businesses and assets into market leaders. Partners Group is a committed, responsible investor and aims to create sustainable returns with lasting positive impact for all its stakeholders. Robert leads Partner Group's U.S. private wealth and defined contribution practice and is president, portfolio manager, and member of the board of managers of Partners Group Private Equity Master Fund. He also chairs Partner Group's USA's Investment Committee. Robert joined the firm in 2005 as a member of the private equity investment team and has 23 years of industry experience. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Rob, great to chat with you today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, great to be here, RJ. Great to see you. So where I thought we'd kick off is learning a little bit more for the benefit of our audience of Partners Group, because it's a a firm that's well-known within the investment management space, but may not be as well-known among our broader kind of CEO community. So maybe let's start with the high level of what Partners Group does. Sure. Yeah, we're a private markets firm. So we were founded about almost 30 years ago, three guys who had worked together at Goldman Sachs, and they wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to pursue their professional passions and build a firm that reflected their values. So they started Partners Group in 96 and focused on private equity initially. We've grown over time into adjacent private markets, private credit, private real estate, private infrastructure. Uh, It's a global firm started in Europe, but have had a true global footprint for a couple of decades now. And I think known as innovators. So for those who know us, I mean, known as innovators in terms of how we invest. So we have a you know really broad investment platform where we're buying companies and assets ourselves. We're lending to companies or assets. We also have an indirect business or selectively committing capital to other private markets firms or active on the secondaries market. So uh, it's a broad engine, which was pretty unique and in many respects still is unique today. And then we're known as innovators, I think, in terms of how we've you know run our company, you know, first private equity firm to go public in 2006, for example. So we you know, for your CEOs, uh, your founders out there, we do consider this to be a you know successful entrepreneurial story, and that's a bit of the thumbnail sketch. Lots of other things like twenty offices, two thousand people, one hundred and fifty billion under management, but that's kind of the the high level, RJ. Yeah, I think the the word that pops out is innovation because I do remember when you were launching, and this goes back, I think maybe like fifteen years ago, you were launching a new product into the market and it is somewhat untested, but it turned out to be a huge success over time. Can you tell us about that? You're right. About 
15, 16 years ago, you know, we were asked by a multifamily office who had, you know, individual investors and small institutional investors as clients, if there was a, you know, a better way for them to get exposure to private equity, to private markets, because at that time, as, uh, you know, probably many in your audience would appreciate, and still largely today, the way you invest in this market has been through, you know, these traditional drawdown vehicles, these 10 or 12-year limited partnerships, the investors are the limited partners, the investment managers, the GP, and they're okay. But on the other hand, they you know really are a bit antiquated and don't fully address the needs of all investor segments. So if you think about these funds, they're you know, you're committing capital. You have to deal with the complexity of capital calls and distributions, and K1 tax reporting, and high minimum investments, and lack of liquidity all of those impediments. So we set out to change that. And uh, really at the request of this multifamily office, a couple of multifamily offices in Seattle, for what it's worth, if anyone's in the Seattle audience. And yes, it was innovative. It was the first ever solution. So what we did was create the first ever SEC registered under the 40 Act fund. It's an evergreen fund, first purpose-built solution for the wealth market. Never been done before. And, you know, it's slowly, but then quickly in the last couple of years become a significant trend. So you've seen uh, many firms like ours, small firms, mid sized firms, and now the most well resourced, largest private equity, private markets firms, you know, develop solutions in this space. So we're proud of the role that we've played. Uh, it's you know, a significant part of our business. The private wealth channel is a significant part of our business globally. Yeah, so that innovation, then we've done similar things in you know, the 401k market. We've created the first private equity fund. So we've been innovative in terms of delivering the benefits, the assets of our particular private markets to these new segments. Yeah, I think it's an area, I mean, we have a lot of GPs in our audience as well, and a lot of folks are thinking through how to tap into whether it's the family office market or ultra high net worth market, private wealth in general is a pool that hasn't been you know, fully penetrated or tapped into. And there's different ways of approaching that market or investor pool. What are some of the other innovations in the space that you think are interesting. And I'm curious to get your thoughts about some of these more online platforms that are trying to extend access. But broadly speaking, where do you think the kind of market is today in terms of ability to give access to kind of that private wealth space? Very broadly speaking, the theme is, you know, life is too short. Okay. Life is too short. We all have only so much time, only so many resources. So if you can find a way to solve for the historic complexities of this marketplace, again, the complexities that come with these traditional commingled funds, these traditional drawdown vehicles, there's a huge market out there. So if you can build the right product, it's an enormous marketplace. If you just look at the largest pools of capital, you know, the, the wirehouses, the Merrill Lynch's, the Morgan Stanley's, the UBS, the Wells Fargo advisors, and these are multi-trillion platforms each. And on average, their clients have one or 2% in private markets today. Uh, it's really underrepresented in their portfolios. If you just look at these stats, and probably many in the audience, you know, small business owners understand this. If you look at the stats, you know, 87% of 
100 million revenue and above companies in the U.S. are private, not public. So -hmm. the private markets are growing, have been growing. These are real businesses. And the individual investors, you know, many of whom are business owners, work for these companies, they want exposure to that real economy. And all that's been missing is the right vehicles. So we've simply taken the same content, same strategies we've run for institutions historically and put them in the right format, the right structure. And I think part of your question, yes, there's lots of uh, development work happening out there, further refining what we've done. So, you know, ourselves included building new solutions, providing more specific, more granular approaches to the marketplace instead of broad vehicles. So just like the mutual fund industry developed and specialized, we're seeing the same solutions. I think the Vanguard, what people are really thinking about in the future is, you know, what's the application of the digital world? And can you, you know, tokenize, digitize some of these funds, make them even more readily available to the retail audience? Can you solve for some of that operational complexity in terms of, you know, the investor experience buying and selling so that's a bit out in the future. We've done some work on that, but you need a the broader uh, environment to be conducive for that sort of next couple of steps forward from a product development point of view. But the big picture is, you know, investors, as always, are looking for ways to diversify their portfolios. There's this enormous equity market out there, private equity market, broad landscape there, as the audience knows, from everything from venture to buyouts themselves. And uh, investors are trying to get exposure. So that's, you know, that's the big picture. And it's, I think it's a great thing that the investment management industry is now, you know, really focused on delivering these solutions that really make sense for the individual investor. Yeah. When one thinks about the investment management industry, one doesn't typically think about innovation, but it's actually happening all the time, whether it's within the investment firms themselves or, you know, investment banks, there's a lot of innovation that happens kind of behind the scenes without anybody really knowing what's happening to make things more efficient. Your background is very interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering about your take on how it's enabled you to kind of innovate. Tell us about where you started with your career. I started in equity research. I, you know, I went to Tulane as an undergrad. Tulane has this amazing research program, an extracurricular program. You basically act as a sell uh, side research analyst. So I covered Calmain Foods, which is the country's largest uh, producer of, of eggs uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. So as a student, you could go and meet management, do the company tour and initiate coverage. So that's what I did. That was my way to you know, come back to New York and start my career in equity research at uh, Solomon Smith Barney. And then I noticed as we were initiating coverage on companies that recently went public, that there's this incredible venture private equity market. You look at the cap tables, who was uh, starting these companies that were going public and doing so incredibly successfully. That gave me my first view into the private markets. I moved into uh, more of an investment banking role focused on private equity mm-hmm. at a large investment bank with a big you know, retail brokerage. And through that, I you know maybe, RJ, that was sort of my first insight to how the street was trying to, decades ago, deliver access to private markets to these clients of you know large brokerage firms and i realized that there's a lot of elements lacking in those products and then you know fast forward full disclosure rj you and i went to business school together mm-hmm. so fast forward uh, leaving business school you know started at partners group and my dad like any proud dad said oh i you know 
I want to participate in what you're doing. He had, he had a pension, still has a pension from the New York City retirement system. So he actually saw private equity himself in his pension reports. And he said, you're now working son at a private equity firm. I want to invest at a private equity firm. And this was happening at the same time that multifamily office I mentioned was saying to us, well, Rob, you guys need to develop a solution for us. So it all sort of coincided. And ironically, my dad put the first 50,000 into this, you know, our 40 act fund. It's now our largest fund, 14 billion in size. He's done quite well with that investment. But yeah, I just had sort of a congruence of different events and insights, personal things in my life that led at this one moment to sort of create that one fund. So it's been uh, it's been a great journey. I've heard executives at corporations and some large corporations who've been able to kind of excel quickly in their careers say that they had to take risks, even within kind of the corporate environment. They had to be willing to stick their neck out on an idea. When you were thinking of these products, did you view it as that? Was it risky? Yeah, it was a side hustle, RJ. Others said, okay, you're you're doing what? You're trying to do what? So it was a bit of my side hustle night job here at Partners Group. And you know, I wouldn't say it was, you know, an entrepreneurial experience, such as what we think of true entrepreneurs out there. And maybe the cliche would be intrapreneurial, but I did have to spend my time in some cases political capital to get this off the ground and get the company behind this. And, you know, I did have to take that time away from my other, maybe more formal <laughs> responsibilities. So a little bit of risk taking there. But on the other hand, back to my initial comments about the firm, I mean, it's exactly what Partners Group likes to do. It's part of our DNA. So fortunately worked, you know, still work for a company that really gets excited about clients coming in and saying, look, I have a problem. I have an opportunity. I have these constraints. Can you help us? So we love doing that kind of thing. So it is, you know, in some respects, classic for us, part of our DNA. But yes, it was also a, a combination of, you know, some personal risk taking, if you want to put it that way. We talked about the various kind of lines of business that you're involved in or products, however you want to term it. How has the kind of mix evolved? Have you found that over time, the firm as a whole has become more invested in a certain area versus another? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, in terms of the investment engine that we have, I mean, it is a bit of an unusual platform. And we did our first control buyout over 20 years ago. And over time, we've done a you know number of different things. We buy companies, we co-invest with other managers, we do direct lending, secondaries, primaries. So a bit of a you know broader platform than you've seen at other firms who maybe come from a monoline kind of buyout background or a fund of funds. Uh, you know, we have this broad capability, and then we deliver that basically pro rata. So all of that content we deliver, you know, whether you're a sovereign wealth fund or a 50,000 investor, you get the same access. And part of it, RJ, is just, you know, that that mix over time changes. And that's where we try to add value. So, you know, in some cases, uh, different parts of the market, the secondary market may provide more value. In other cases, they may be less of an opportunity. Direct lending, for example, same idea. It's a compelling place today, wasn't the last couple of years. So we try to provide that tactical uh, value add in terms of how we're investing through time. And then we also try to add value by just leveraging that engine to build diversified portfolios. So we believe in diversification, probably massively diversified 
relative to some other solutions. So that's that's sort of the investment side. And then the trend on the solution side or the product side is evergreen, starting with the, the private wealth-oriented solutions. But that's now become a trend in the institutional marketplace as well, where we see more and more institutions say, hey, you know what? My challenge is the same as the individual investor in that I need to get the assets and I need to be in the market through time. I need to compound these portfolios. And again, that traditional limited partnership structure really isn't conducive to that. You know, you're committing, you're not investing, you have less control over the cash flows on the way in, on the way out. It's just really complicated. Even if you have professional staff and resources, it's just really tough. So this trend towards more permanent capital, evergreen type solutions, where uh, whether you're an institution or an individual investor, you can get exposure to these great assets that you can't necessarily find in the public markets, and then you can compound that exposure over the long term. So that's the other trend that we're seeing really across the investor uh, universe. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the end markets you're investing in, uh, the various sectors, whether it's like industrials or technology or healthcare, have you found that you've had a particular emphasis in certain sectors? We're trying to find winning companies in sectors that have above average GDP growth. You could call it a good to great strategy. So we all have our uh, industry uh, periodicals. So there's this one you know, that's in the private equity industry. They do an operational excellence award every year. We've won that for many years in a row. So we're trying to buy good businesses, help them grow, top line cash flow. You know, leveraging not only the resources we have from a capital point of view, but our human resources to help these management teams grow. So that's at the board level, that's at the the C-suite level, even below, like help them execute their vision. And this is why, you know, RJ, the markets are growing. This is why the private markets are growing. And your audience probably agrees with this, I would imagine. But for many, many teams, you know, whether that's that professional C-suite or the founder CEO. They just feel like the best way to realize their vision, their dreams, execute their mission, you know, it's better to do it privately. You used to have to make this trade-off. Like if I needed the resources, if I needed that seal of approval, I had to go public. No longer the case. So I think this is the context behind all of this is that, you know, more and more of these companies just want to be private unless there's some incredibly compelling value proposition to go public, you know, they'd prefer to work with firms like us to, you know, to execute their strategy. Yeah. So when you boil it down from a sector point of view, technology, healthcare, that's where we're most active. We're not doing anything counter cyclical. We do do some industrial, depends how you define these things, consumer as well, but it's a good to great strategy. So where can we find these winning businesses, growing sectors, help them grow organically, sometimes inorganically, and you know, take a long-term perspective, which we can really do now as more and more of our assets are becoming evergreen in nature. There's some companies that we can hold on to for uh, an extended period of time. That's not for every company, but it certainly happens in, in portions of the portfolio. Well, let's get your take on ESG. And I, you know, the term people like to use different terms, but I'll throw the one out there that is somewhat can be controversial at times, but in essence, like I think managers, they're trying to do good for the world and, you know, and people will phrase it as their citizenship report or some other way to phrase it. But however you'd like to describe it, can you tell us about how Partners Group is involved in kind of maybe societal and environmental 
initiatives? Yeah, I mean, we were among the early movers in this regard. I mean, uh, you know, coming out of our roots in Europe, I think many would say this topic was more pronounced there than it was here in the States. It was an earlier theme there. So we've been active as you know responsible investors in the context of the UNPRI for a long time. And for many, many years, we've just simply viewed this as another way to help our companies create value. I mean, ESG is a value creation tool, among others, in our business. So from that perspective, you know, from that investment perspective, that's how we think about it. I mean, very simply, you can think about just simple things like energy efficiency. We own Kindercare, the large you know, childhood education business. And we bought that. We said, okay, are, are the lights on in the parking lot at night? Do they need to be on or not? Are the lights still on in the buildings overnight? I mean, that's basically ESG. I mean, that's an ESG value creation strategy. So it's, you know, very simply a value creation tool across those different dimensions. You know, lots of different other examples, right, on the environmental side, on the employee health and safety side. And then as a company, right, and we believe in running our company in the same way, in a thoughtful way, being responsible, you know, investors and thinking about the different stakeholders that we have. So we've been really focused on that. I, I think it's in the public domain. I, you know, there's, uh, what is it? The, there's some Dow Jones sustainability index. I think we're the only private equity firm in there, but, uh, you know, we care deeply about this topic. I think it's unfortunate that it's become a, a bit of a charged term here in the States when it's simply about creating value for, uh, for our investors, our employees, and our management teams. Mm-hmm. We're coming up on time. I do like to end with a couple uh, questions. They veer more towards, I guess, the personal. I'll start off with the first one. Can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? I guess I'll go back to my dad, right? Just like professionally uh, profound impact always supported me, of course, and then specifically in terms of my career here and the focus on on private wealth. So uh, dad, if you're going to be watching, thank you. Uh, thanks for your support. Excellent. Okay. Last question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you are passionate about? You know, I ran the marathon, New York City Marathon last year, RJ. First, oh, I didn't know that. One of these uh, bucket list midlife crisis kind of things. You know, grew up in New York, always seen it many times. My dad actually did it four or five times, never done it. So I, I did it last year and uh, supported a charity called Longevity. So lung cancer research thinking about doing it again this year. I mean, supporting, but I don't know if I'm going to run again, but uh, that's uh, you know a recent cause that I've cared about, been passionate about. Excellent. I'll also throw in that you are a supporter of Cornell, as I've noticed throughout the years. It was kind of inspiring for me to see that. So appreciate what you do for the school. You too, RJ. You're a big supporter too, and it's a wonderful institution, an easy one to support. Excellent. Well, Rob, thank you so much again for taking the time. It's been a true pleasure to chat with you today. Likewise, RJ. Thanks so much. Have a good one.